Hey parents, this is Dan Panetti. I hope you're enjoying listening to the journey as much as I am enjoying producing these. Hey, for the next two weeks, I've got a guest, Dr. Carla Gerdes. She's a Christian psychologist and a marriage and family counselor. And we're going to be talking about some important issues facing our children. She's going to give us some great insight and wisdom that you're going to find valuable. I would love for you to not only listen, but also share these episodes with your friends and family. And if you have an extra minute, go ahead and rate and review The Journey in your favorite podcast app. Next week will be the concluding interview with Dr. Gerties, and here is our first session. All right, parents, welcome back to The Journey. This is Dan Panetti. I've got a um, sort of a longtime friend, and especially a friend of a friend, um, because Dr. Rick Fowler um, was our family counselor for a number of years, and he introduced us to Dr. Carla Hale Gerties. Um, and she Gerdes, actually. Gerdes. Gerdes. Uh-huh. Okay. It's kind of like Curtis, only with a G and a D. Okay. Curtis. I like it. Um, and you've helped our family out over the years as well. Um, and so we've uh, just enjoyed your um, your presence, your professionalism, and just all that you bring as a uh, as a Christian counselor. Um, and so it's um, it's an interesting thing. I wanted our parents to hear from you because you spend a lot of our a lot of your time uh, with young people in dealing with um, situations that they're wrestling with and just kind of life. Um, and I wanted our parents to kind of hear from you. And so uh, one of the questions I had for you, and I want to ask you on air, is what do people refer to you as? Just about anything. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, Dr. Gertis, Dr. Carla, uh, people from a prior chapter in my life might call me Dr. Hale. I answer to pretty much anything that's respectful. I like that. Pretty yeah. good. Yeah. Well, let's start, let's start the conversation with just maybe a little bit about you, um, professional, personal background. Yeah. Uh, so daughter of a minister. And minister's wife, obviously. And I saw my dad doing a lot of counseling with uh, people on the sofa of our living room. And um, I had never actually even thought about being a psychologist. Uh, But God opened doors, led me in that direction, and I just love it. I come alive thinking about people and what makes them tick. Mm -hmm. And certainly as I've gotten older, recognizing how God works through other people to come alongside people when we're struggling. Okay. And so that's, I, I flourished doing that. So then you went college, undergrad, Did, professional degrees, like yep, what, what, what yep, was the path that yep. you had to pursue to get to where you are? Right. It, it's a lot of schooling. Uh, <laughs> got an undergrad Not to discourage degree. Somebody, right? Right? That sounds like great. Oh, no. Yeah. If you go into psychology, really to practice independently, you mm-hmm. need to be at the doctoral level. Okay. There are other, um, There are other licensures for counselors, like an LPC, where you can get a master's degree, Mm -hmm. or an LMFT, Licensed Marriage and Family Therapist, which I also am, by the way. I'm dual licensed. But in psychology specifically, you need to be at the doctoral level. So I did four years of grad school, did an internship, uh, did a postdoc supervision year, had to take a licensing exam, and... 31 years later, here we are. There we go. And I started when I was five, of course. Oh, of course, yes. <laughs> now, we, we just talked about your age before. Yeah, so we, won't we don't need to mention air. that on air, yeah, exactly, no. no. Um, but anyway, um, let's, let's just talk about, um, as, you, as you have your practice, um, what's, a I guess, a typical person that you would see? Do you see, you said you're licensed for marriage and family. Mm-hmm. Um, do you see uh, couples? I do. Yeah, I would say it, it varies week to week, but I would say in any given week, it might be 20% of the people I see, 30%, sometimes 50% couples. Okay. Couples are uh, double the work. 
and double the fun yeah. when when growth happens. But they are more uh, taxing emotionally, and so I do kind of keep a cap on how many new couples I'll take into my practice. Okay. Um, and then a lot of individual therapy with issues across the board and really across the ages. Um, I don't work with the wee ones because little bitty kids say up to about. Hmm, Eight, ten, depending on their verbal skills and maturity level, really need a playroom. That's how kids communicate sure. is through play, yeah. through imaginative, creative play. So I have done play therapy in the, in the past, but I don't have that uh, facility here in my office. So I, I start with pre-ads and adolescence on up. Yeah, so you said, yeah, across the ages, but you meant kind of that yeah, what, 13, 14-year-old? Well, I'll go down to as young as 10-ish. Again, depending on their verbal ability to just engage Mm -hmm. uh, in talking therapy, I might do some activities with them, maybe a therapeutic game or stuff like that. Um, But they need to be able to verbalize and engage while we're doing some activity, Um, not just a playroom because I don't have a playroom. So what kind of things would you say are typical for you to see when you're talking to, let's talk about the students and maybe we can talk about the adults later. Um, But if students came in here, right, from age 10 through 18 uh, and even college students, right, because we've got some parents who's, you know, like my my kids, I've got three three in college, kind of crazy, we should actually be having therapy for me right now. (laughs) Um, What what, what are the main issues that you're seeing um, young people coming in with? Uh, you know, the last couple of years with COVID and all the isolation, and then even when that lifted, all the uncertainty mm-hmm. and the ongoing uncertainty has just added a layer that has amplified everybody's life stress yeah. because it's not like anybody's lives stopped during COVID. They still had school and homework, although it looked really different, especially when it was Very online different. only. Yes. There was lots of isolation that came with that, lots of being stuck at home. Mm-hmm. And again, depending on family dynamics and how people were getting along, that was either a good thing and gave them more time to be together or was a really bad thing. If there were already strains in the marriage or strains in uh, other kinds of family relationships, or if there was a family member that was really impaired, maybe someone was an alcoholic or addicted to other things or or just had a, an anger problem or whatever made being together uncomfortable, unsafe, or difficult, mm then that really added a lot of stress um, to kids being in a home where they weren't getting outside interaction. They weren't being with their friends. They weren't around other adults that could see and care and notice what was going on with them. That was really tough. Very true. But even after the isolation lifted and we're back in classrooms and we're back out and about socially, um, I think there were some patterns that probably got uh, increased like the use of being on our devices mm-hmm. and the social media participation, I don't think those have come back down. And that stuff is tough on kids, especially kids who are still have a developing brain. Okay, so when, when you say it's tough on kids, I think most people just think that it's just normal. Yeah, right. That this right. Is, it is this a normal is part of our daily does, life. Right. right? My, yeah. my kids get on social yeah. media. They're on you know whatever social media platforms are on. Everybody's right. doing it. Um, so when you say it's tough, are are you what, what from a parenting standpoint are you saying this is something I should uh, monitor, I should pull mm-hmm. back on, I should start later? I mean, what 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 are the things that you're you know telling parents that yep. they might need to look into? D all of the above, okay. all of the above, <laughs> absolutely. And there's some there's some really good articles out there that just substantiate what I'm going to be talking mm-hmm. about. Like I was just looking at a Forbes article earlier um, earlier this week. Uh, and this is really recent. This was from like 
2019 that said why even technophile parents should, quote, wait until 8th. And wait until 8th is a movement that started in 2017 that was counseling parents, wait until 8th grade to give your kid a smartphone. Okay. So about the age of about 14 mm-hmm. years old before they even get a smartphone. Yes. Okay. And for reasons that are that are understandable mm-hmm. when you read the research, kids' brains are developing. Um, smartphones put kids in the world of social media. Mm-hmm. And social media's goal is to increase your usership. Yeah. They so, want more and more of your time and energy, and they do that by dopamine hits. Yeah. So I, I, know, I know when you say that, um, you've probably said it so often that it makes sense to you. Mm-hmm. But if somebody hasn't heard that before, help them understand that concept. I, I think a lot of people still believe that social media is to make connections um, yeah, but that's it, that happens. But that's it, definitely not the goal of the particular platform. So right. tell, tell parents again, what's the goal? Right. So if I'm the goal Instagram, from Facebook's Facebook standpoint Twitter, or right, Instagram standbook right. or, or Twitter or is to get more and more users and to keep those users on the device longer and longer and longer. So how do I do that? How can I keep a kid on a device, not just one hour, but two, not just two hours, but three? How do I do that? And what you're saying is it's, that's what they've it's, developed. It's it, the algorithms that they use and the way they've structured their site mm-hmm. is they've created this positive reinforcement loop and a negative reinforcement loop. Okay. The positive reinforcement is any time you post, some, post something online in some social media site and other people like it. It gives you a little dopamine hit, a little pleasure center. Makes me feel good. Makes me feel good. And when you get 50 likes, you feel even better. It's, whoa, really spikes the dopamine. And so kids stay on those sites longer and longer to see, did anybody like what I posted? Mm -hmm. How many people have liked what I posted? Did anybody comment? Oh, were there any negative comments? Which is then that negative reinforcement, it doesn't feel good. But they get anxious, worried about whether someone posted something negative. And so they've got to be constantly checking, constantly checking, constantly scanning, constantly watching for. And so these platforms. That's a lot of anxiety. It is a lot of anxiety. (laughs) It's a lot of worry because we all, those of us that are older know, once Mm -hmm. something is out in the Internet, once it's out in cyberspace, it never goes away, even when it's deleted. We have no control over it. It's out there. And kids may or may not know that. But it it gets circulated. People talk about it. It it gets then uh, in somebody's text group talked about. They start messaging about it. They start, and and so it it just morphs. It just grows. It's like this cancer that keeps spreading. Uh, particularly when those posts are negative. When they are all the kind of comparison that used to just happen in the classroom mm-hmm. like so-and-so is four eyes because they got glasses mm-hmm. so-and-so is short or tall or fat or skinny or has freckles or has a birthmark yeah. or has this skin color that used to only happen in school in the classroom kids have always been comparing themselves with one another sure. they just do but now it happens 24 7 and it happens all over the phone, all over the social media sites. Yeah. It doesn't go away. And so it just raises the angst, both in terms of needing the positive hits, mm-hmm. the pleasure center getting that little spike of dopamine, 
and the worry center, the amygdala, that threat detector in our brain going, what if, oh no, what, I hope they didn't see, oh, I can't believe they said that, what do they think of me, what are they talking about in there, what are my friends saying behind my back? I think one of the things I've noticed too with talking to students about social media is if you want to get a lot of likes and a lot of attention to something, it's it's not like you can just post a bland picture or a bland comment. Right, I had like, oatmeal for breakfast. Exactly. Like, oh, okay, you know, 5,000 likes. It's like, mm-hmm. no, that doesn't happen. So to sensationalize and to feed into that, right. you begin to realize that you create a life that um, isn't necessarily just your normal life, but is sort right. of a, a life produced for social media. Right. And that, it, could, that could be stressful for a child. Absolutely. Well. That's a lot of pressure. And it's also not real life. Right. Uh, a, a saying I just love, a friend of mine commented one time, in any given month, there are there's one really, really, really bad, crummy day. Like mm-hmm. everything goes wrong. Yep. There's one really awesome day. Like, I mean, just your favorite food, gorgeous weather, everybody compliments on your appearance, and you win the lottery. Yeah. And then there's 28 average, Other mediocre, days. <laughs> normal days. Yeah. And, and if you posted those 28 days, nobody pays attention. That's exactly right. But we've got to get those 28 days to be as awesome as the one day. Right. So we create this in a but sense, that's, false sense that's of That's real life. Yeah. It's real life in family. It's real life yes. in school. It's real life. And then social media is this huge contrast to that. Yeah. It is this weird faux world where everybody's happy, where everybody's handsome and gorgeous, where everybody has retouched photos, where everybody says such witty things where everybody goes all these crazy, amazing places. Well, nobody lives like that, really. And so it creates this social comparison, this faux social comparison, where their life looks more fun, more exciting, their family looks happier, more loving. Um, They go on vacations more often. They have better-looking clothes. They do their makeup better than their muscles are bigger. It's just, it's faux. And it's very stressful, and nobody can live up to that. And so adults know that stuff. We know that. Our brain is developed. We've had we're, enough life experience. We're supposed experience. to know we're that. To know that. Yeah, That's right. There's some adults That's that right. I know that it's like. Good point. Good point. <laughs> like but with more and more life experience, uh-huh. we kind of get to a place. You can we, eat more easily balance it out. Yep. The highs aren't as high. The lows aren't right. as low. And we get to a place. We, we'll use this phrase. We become comfortable in our own skin. Right. But pre-ads, mm-hmm. middle schoolers, high schoolers are absolutely not comfortable in their own skin. They're still growing their own skin. Yep. They're still trying to figure out who am I, what am I about, what do I believe, who likes me, uh, who's proud of me, uh, what am I here for. All of that is absolutely still fluid. It's still forming. And all that social media comparison is just barraging the normal uncertainty and angst and fluidity that we all had in middle school and high school. So it sounds like from a parent perspective... Right. This would be a very easy fix just to say, I'm not giving my children right a smartphone and they're not getting on any social media at all until they're you know 19 and out of the house. Yeah. If uh, only. How well, yeah. If only. <laughs> how well does if that only. work? Yeah. It works about as well as saying, you know, that your, your um, daughter who has now moved from being a little bitty girl to this gorgeous young woman isn't going to date till she's 30. Yeah. When I mean, we can make these outrageous claims, right. but yeah, we don't, first of all, we don't have the power to enforce that. When our kids are not under our nose, when they're at school, their friends have phones. They're looking at their friends' social media stuff. And I'll I'll say this. I'll just throw this out just to kind of let our parents know. Um, One of our students was sitting in my office talking to me about the phones. And Mm -hmm. I mentioned something about my kids' phones and different things like that. And 
he said, well, which, which phone of your, of your kids? And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, well, the phone you know about or the phone you don't know about? There you go. And I said, what do you mean? There you go. And he said, I'd say probably 80% of our kids have mm. two phones, mm. at least wow. two phones. Wow. Yes. And so that was the comment, right? They have got the phone that they, you know they let their parents see and they let their parents check, and the right. accounts that they let their parents see and their parents wow. check. Wow, yeah, certainly then, the accounts. Yes. Whether or not they've got another device, they certainly have accounts that their parents don't know about. Yeah. So those are things, right? Even though I know as parents we want to do the best we can to help our students make the best decisions, they're going to be making decisions. And so as we talk about this, what what are things that you would let's let's stick with the student for now, mm-hmm. right? What were, mm-hmm. what are things that you would tell the student? about the decisions they're making and the impact that this is having on them. What what can they do? We'll leave the parent conversation for another time. So your question is, what can the parents... No, what it, like if you were talking to the student oh. and they're wrestling with stress and anxiety mm-hmm. and they're mm-hmm. in here saying, you know, right. I, I can't keep up with all this, but yet I know I'm not going to just disconnect right. from this world. Yeah. How do they manage it? How do they do a better job of processing... Yeah, I think I'd start with um, having them tune into their body Mm -hmm. because the body always feels whether we are aware of what we're feeling. It's true. So tune into their body when they get on whatever their favorite app is, whatever their favorite social media site is. Mm -hmm. Do they notice that they feel more relaxed or less relaxed? Mm -hmm. More comfortable being themselves or more nervous about what other people think about them. Okay. So that would be a real easy first thing. I would say, I want you to notice your body. I might even do it in therapy. Have them open their phone to their favorite <laughs> platform and go, okay, describe what you, you were experiencing. You can almost see their blood pressure going Yes, up. exactly. Yeah. That's a real practical thing that mm-hmm. they can notice. I get more tense. I get more both excited and worried about what I'm going to see and find. So it's not that, okay, we can't do any of this. It's that we really do need to equip kids to pay attention to the effect on themselves. Mm-hmm. Is their mood better or worse after 30 minutes on whatever their favorite media site or app? Do they feel more energized or more depleted? Mm. Do they feel more connected to people or less connected? And it might be a mixed experience. Some days, maybe they feel more connected. Other days, they're likely to feel more left out when they see photos of some event that they weren't included in, but their friend circle's there. Yeah. And that's going to happen. Yes. So it's Welcome to re- life. Right. So it's a matter of how much of that do you want to drink in. Right. How much of that do you want to affect your body? Yes, you can be involved in these sites. Um, Yes, you should be knowledgeable about which are safer and which are less safe. Um, Yes, you should have privacy settings. But even more than all that, you should pay attention to how much can I take in without it really affecting my whole mood for the rest of the night? Does it put me in a funk? Does it make me so demoralized or so tired and depleted that I really don't have energy to do my homework? Does it keep me up way past when I need to be going to sleep because I'm worried or interested to see who has commented? Am I checking my phone at midnight and one and two and three in the morning to see if there were any more hits, any more followers, any more likes? Yeah, Talking to some of our students about what time they go to bed, 
um, I had a young lady, and she actually visited our school. She didn't end up coming there, but she was she visited, and I was just kind of walking around the school, and I noticed she had her head down on her desk. And it always strikes me when, you know, you've got a 14- or 15-year-old student who's tired during the day. Because mm-hmm. I just remember, you know, if you think you're tired at 15 years old, well, till you're 50. Right. <laughs> yeah. but, but there's I, a really good reason well, they're I tired. Asked, I asked, why, you know, why are you so tired? And, uh, and she was up until 4 o'clock in the morning. Right. Right, on, you know, Netflix and watching this and Instagram. Or maybe just texting back and forth with her friends. And then, right, they take a Red Bull or they take an energy drink and they think that, you know what, they're going to snap back. And I'm just like, you can't do that every day. Right. You just physically cannot handle that. Emotionally, you can't handle that. I mean, it's, it's... Something that your body is just going to be like, I, I can't do this much longer. Right. So that's something they will crash. Yeah. And the crash to. might not be um, in terms of sleep. It might be crash in terms of depression. Mm. Because depression um, sometimes is felt as a mood thing, a sadness, a pain, uh, a hurt, uh, a, a guilt or a low worth feeling. Or it might be no feelings at all. Okay. It might be a sense of depletion. I think a good synonym a lot of times for depression is depletion. You're just I'm empty. Out, yes, I'm out of emotional gas. I, I can, we can stay awake and we can task far longer than we can care. Mm. So when we run out of emotional energy for caring, we have hit a wall, even though we don't realize it. Yeah. And so, yeah, kids can, can jack up with Red Bull, and then they can take melatonin and Benadryl and whatever to try to bring it back down. But insufficient sleep is highly correlated with irritability, depression, um, poor uh, homework uh, completion, uh, dropping scores in in school in general, and a general don't care because I don't have the energy to care. Um, So that's a big deal. Uh, sleep is so crucial for our body to kind of clean the brain out. Mm-hmm. It is a time for cleaning out uh, all the various events of the day, cleaning out unnecessary trivia, just sort of consolidating, cleaning, and getting the brain ready for the next day. So you got a cluttered brain going to school the next day trying to learn. That's also tired. Yes. And it doesn't, doesn't work. work well. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. <laughs> That's a recipe for yeah. And teens ineffectiveness are are actually in need of more sleep than younger kids yeah. because their brain is undergoing so much change during the teen years. It's it's actually one of the most brain changing dense periods of time. Much like the first two or three years of life, then the teen years would be second in that. Because there's all this restructuring of the brain that's going on, particularly in the prefrontal cortex, which we all know is that adult executive center that's under construction for about 10, 12, 15 years. Like from early teens all the way into the mid-20s. And it is the place where our our brain develops the abilities to do the things we want our teens to be able to do. Like empathize with others, Mm -hmm. see something from a different point of view. be able to estimate risk more accurately than they do naturally, Uh, be able to associate outcomes with choices, which is what all the teen years are about. What do my choices lead to? What happens when I choose A versus B? Mm -hmm. That's what the prefrontal cortex is all about, those things. Well, if we're not getting good sleep, the brain's not getting what it needs to develop properly, and we just slow down that process. Boy, I'm just processing what you're telling me, 
And I'm thinking to myself saying, that's a, that's a really bad time. To go without to sleep. Go, right. Well, to go without that decision-making process in the mm -hmm. teenage years. Because right. there's so many I'm, choices right. that are being made yeah, during, with high stakes. There's, there's never a good time <laughs> right. not to have that, right? I'm thinking you know, right. at 50, you still need that. But, yes, yeah, so many of the decisions that you're making about who you are and who you're with and your friends and um, sexuality, sexual Absolutely. practices, yep. alcohol, drugs, all those Dating, things. driving, and drugs are three oh, yeah, biggies. Three, <laughs> three biggies yeah. during the teen years. And choices arise yeah. in all those areas. And, and that's when you want your brain, like... Sharp. Yes, sharp and... Well right equipped. All That's exactly right. Because oh, those are high stakes yeah. decisions. This isn't about, you know, do I want to wear this outfit or that outfit? Do I want to take this part time job or that part time job? Those can have high stakes, especially the work thing. But, but what we do with our bodies, what we do with our hearts, and what chemicals we put in. Those can affect us for the rest of our lives. And what we do with a 2,000 pound weapon that we're behind the wheel of. Yeah. Those are big, big deals. Big, big deals. Well, I know that you are open to seeing new um, patients, yes. uh, individuals. So I'll put your information in the show notes so people could reach out to you if uh, they feel like uh, having a conversation with you would be helpful. Mm. Um, and I've found it helpful uh, not only for me as a parent, um, but I know that it's been helpful for my family to have those conversations. So I know um, hopefully some other parents and some other students will be uh, looking into having those conversations as well. So thank you for the conversation today. Thank you. Today. You bet. And, uh, My pleasure. We'll, uh, we'll continue it later talking about parents. Sounds good.